Our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1, and we will be reading verses 39 through 56, and once again I invite you to turn in your Bibles and follow along as I read from God's holy and inspired Word. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. I was speaking to a fellow the other day, and he said to me, you know, I don't usually like to listen to Christmas music too early in the season because I tend to grow weary of it by the time Christmas actually arrives. But since things are the way they are in the world today, I started to listen to a personal Christmas playlist even before Halloween this year. And I was just about to reply to the man when I realized that I was alone in my car and I was talking to myself. It's been stressful, has it not? One of the things that so permanently creates within us or imprints, I think, warm memories of Christmas upon our minds is the music of this season. If we grew up in the church, we learned the carols that were probably first shared at the children's Christmas program when we were in elementary school. We may have been dressed in our father's bathrobe as we sang We Three Kings from the chancel steps But it made such an impression upon us that whenever we hear that carol, we remember that moment. Or maybe you had a mother who loved to sing like I did, and you were treated to Silent Night as you were tucked into bed on Christmas Eve, 
or perhaps angels we have heard on high as you decorated angel sugar cookies to give as gifts to the neighbors. But as we have matured, not only in years, but also in our faith, music has continued to play an important role in our spiritual lives. The grandeur of certain pieces of music, like the Hallelujah Chorus, or certain hymns like How Great Thou Art or Amazing Grace, touch us so deeply because they elevate our vision of God and they transport us at times into the very throne room of heaven. Music has always played this role. It is abundantly clear from the Psalms that God's people have found music to be a wondrous form of magnifying the Lord. Key moments in the communal life of the people of God have resulted in psalms being written to exalt the Lord for His faithfulness to His people and to commemorate those special moments to preserve that for collective memory of God's people. So it should come as no surprise that when Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to visit her relative Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, that Mary should break out into a song of praise for what God was in the process of bringing about, the redemption of his people. The last couple of weeks we have been examining more closely the ministry of John the Baptist and the importance of repentance in our own walk of discipleship. John's ministry of baptism under repentance may have been surprising to many, but it was not surprising to John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, because the angel Gabriel revealed this call to ministry to John's father. What came as a surprise to John's parents was John. You may remember that Zechariah and Elizabeth were childless into their older years, past the time when you would have any expectation of having a child. But then God, according to his will, wrought a miracle in their life and blessed them with this special child who would play this most important role in God's redemptive plan. Gabriel, the angel, said of him, He will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, meaning before the the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And when Elizabeth was near the end of her second trimester, Gabriel then paid a visit to Mary, the young woman betrothed to Joseph, and informed her that she had found favor with God and that she would be the mother of of the Son of God. Gabriel prophesied to her about her son. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now imagine the sense of blessedness that must have overwhelmed Mary at that moment not only by the glorious appearance of one who regularly stands in the very presence of God, but of the weightiness of this news to her. 
what she is being told is that God is putting the finishing touches upon his plans to send his Messiah, his anointed one. He's sending him into the world, and she's been chosen to be his mother. Of all the women in Israel, Mary has found favor with God to serve God in this way. But Mary learns that she is not the only one to be blessed. Gabriel informs her that God has also blessed her kinswoman, Elizabeth, with a pregnancy, even though she is well beyond childbearing years. Now this is verifiable news. And it was intended to assure Mary that God will do what he says he will do. This is to assure her that there are no limitations on God's abilities. There is nothing that God cannot do. Now, as Luke narrates this story, let us contemplate this moment in redemptive history. For on the one hand, we have an older woman who has been suffering for years with the public shame of barrenness. Elizabeth has been deemed to be out of favor with God by the community because God has not seen fit to bless her with a child during this stage of life when a woman in her society should be having children. And yet, she and her husband Zechariah are described as both being righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. These were those who believed the Word of God, who placed their faith in Him, had been made right in His sight by means of their faith. Their walk matched their talk. They lived out their faith in a way that others would have noticed. The fruit of their faith was on public display and left little doubt that they were people of faith. So what a mystery it must have been for this couple, of all couples, to be without children. On the other hand, we have a very young woman who has only entered into the stage of life when marriage betrothals are being considered and established. She does not have anywhere close to the life experiences that Elizabeth has because she's not lived that long. While she's betrothed, she's basically the age of today's high school sophomore. And yet she has just learned that she's been chosen by God to bear a child, an uncommon, miraculous child, a child that will be unlike any other child ever born. This young woman, this virgin, will conceive through the ministry of God's Holy Spirit. He will create this unique life in Mary's womb, and the child will be called holy. Two very different women in two very different Marital circumstances with very impossible conditions requiring the intervention of God in order that they might bear two special individuals, each playing a key role in the redemption of God's elect. This was a moment in time when God was doing marvelous things, and these two women were keenly aware of it in ways that the rest of us will never fully understand. So it's not surprising that Mary, upon hearing all this news, decides to visit Elizabeth, perhaps the only person on the face of the earth who will be able to understand these things. And so when young Mary arrives on Elizabeth's doorstep and offers her greeting, neonatal John leaps in his mother's womb 
And the Holy Spirit floods her soul to the degree that she could not contain her joy, and she offered a word from the Lord. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now for a young woman who had willingly agreed to be the Christ-bearer, but who later may have begun to realize all the implications of her decision, this was a great reassurance to her. This served as a confirmation to what the angel had told her and to the decision that Mary made in response. Mary needed this affirming word because God's blessedness is not always clearly felt or understood, even though we may be right in the middle of it. When, for example, the Apostle Peter was in prison following the execution of James, the brother of John, he may not have been feeling so very blessed, chained between two soldiers, awaiting his own execution the next day. But had he not been in that dire situation, how would he have experienced the angelic jailbreak that demonstrated once again that God was completely in control? For at that moment, when he was being escorted out of the prison through the iron gates by an angel of the Lord, his sense of blessedness magnified a hundredfold. And those kinds of experiences informed Peter's understanding of how God works in our lives, such that years later he would write, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Or consider Moses and the children of Israel trapped between the Red Sea and the military might of the Pharaoh of Egypt. They were right in the middle of God's blessing, although they were not feeling blessed at that moment. But then God demonstrated His mighty power and strength, and God delivered His people in a most dramatic way. Well, what did Moses and the people do then? when the joy and the jubilation of their blessed deliverance overwhelmed them, we are told that they broke out in song. They sang of the greatness of their God. They magnified His name. Being blessed by God is not measured by one's circumstances. How often have you seen the sign in someone's home that simply says, Blessed. Now, I don't doubt for a moment that they are. But I'm not sure that I have ever seen such a sign hanging over the door of a dilapidated trailer home. Because we tend to equate God's blessedness with a level of material prosperity. But not so, Jesus. He said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, 
for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, God's blessedness does not have anything to do with our circumstances. It has to do with whether or not we are in the middle of God's will for us. Mary was unmarried and pregnant. The father of her child was God himself. She was trying to figure out how she would ever make Joseph understand that and not lose him. She was trying to figure out how to react to the community when her baby bump began to quietly announce her news. What would her family think? Would Joseph lose face in the community as so many would assume that he had acted unrighteously? The questions in her mind were many. If he leaves me, what will I do? Where will I go? Am I truly the ideal candidate to mother the Messiah? What shall I teach him? How shall I teach him? Question upon question, uncertainty upon uncertainty. But in the face of her questions and uncertainties, what was the truth? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, Elizabeth said. And in response, Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And this young woman was wise beyond her years as displayed by these words from her lips. Mary does not focus on her circumstances. She does not allow the challenges that are facing her to dictate how she's feeling. She focuses upon the truth of the Word of God. God spoke to her and she believed. God made a promise to her and she accepted it. And that was the only sure thing available to her for everything else was up in the air. Everything else was transitory. Nothing else could be counted upon but this one thing she knew. God was in the midst of blessing His people with the Savior and she was among them. Several years ago, there was a wonderful video making the rounds that digitally provided the viewer with a unique perspective on the vastness and the complexity of the universe. As I remember it, it began by zooming out from the earth, passing through our solar system, and then further and further out beyond our galaxy of the Milky Way until even our galaxy was nothing but an indistinguishable fleck lost against a sea of other galaxies as it approached the very edge of the universe. Now, there was no need for any narration. The viewer could plainly see and understand that one's attitude on things is determined in large part by one's perspective. When you are millions of light years away, you realize it does not matter one whit who's sitting in the White House or in the Kremlin. When you are millions of light years Away, you realize it's not the end of the world if your spouse did not remember to pick up milk on the way home from work. If your child got a C in math, will the planets fall out of their orbit? I don't think so. But then the video reversed course, and it began to draw near to the earth once again. But as it drew near, it did not stop at the edge of our atmosphere, but it plunged 
down through our atmosphere. And things that are very familiar began to come into focus. And it passed through a canopy of trees. And it began to dive into the smallest portions of our planet, pausing as insects pass by the the lens. And the video sought to blow your mind in a very different way, reminding us of the unbelievable detail that exists in God's created order as it introduced the viewer to a whole other universe at the molecular level of which we are oblivious, but that exists all around us, again, outside of our perspective. Now, you may be wondering, what, if anything, does this have to do with Mary's circumstances and her song of praise? Simply this. Far too many of us allow our circumstances to overshadow the truth that God's Word proclaims. Our focus, our perspective, can become rigidly settled on that which is immediately before us, right before our tiny eyes, and we believe that this is all that is. And we can easily think that all of the pertinent facts are just right here. I see it in all of its fullness. But the reality is that only God possesses the full view of all things. Only God sees the universe from the tiniest subatomic part to the widest possible angle. Only God knows all that is taking place at any given moment in time and how all of those things are connected to one another such that the universe and all that is in it work the way that they do. Now knowing all of those things, is it not amazing Is it not remarkable that God would condescend to visit His people by means of a baby born in an out-of-the-way village in Judea 2,000 years ago? Is it not the most mind-blowing thing to know that God, who created it all, would choose to live with us sinners and then suffer and die in our place because of our sin? No wonder Mary sang. No wonder the angels sang. No wonder the shepherds marveled and told all who would listen. No wonder the disciples dropped their nets and followed Jesus. No wonder composers arranged symphonies about Him and artists create masterpieces and poets wax eloquent concerning Him. No wonder all who truly know Him are willing to suffer and die rather than recant their faith in Him. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let me ask you this morning, can you sing that song? Do those words express the depth of your faith in the Lord Jesus? If not, then I invite you to come to Him by faith alone. Bear your soul to Him. Confess your sin and receive His pardon and be made new. And discover the joy that will fill your soul and give you a reason to sing. Let me invite you to bow your heads with me and pray for a moment.